Shall we begin? Let's begin now. On the No Account for Taste podcast this week, we talk the week in tax with friend of the pod and tax specialist Reese Jones. All that plus we'll reveal the exact time when accountants are at their most productive. So set your alarm, folks. And we'll also ask... Are flip-flops ever appropriate in the office? I'm Richard Hattersley and welcome to No Accounting for Taste. And who is that back this week in the pod booth? By golly, it is, of course, the editor of Accounting Web. It is Tom Herbert. Tom, we left your seat free last time we we recorded the No Accounting for Taste podcast. You didn't turn up. Where were you? <laughs> oh, I'm very glad you left my seat as a sort of tribute to uh, tribute to a fallen comrade. But uh, yeah, I was over enjoying the sunshine uh, slash rain in Pembrokeshire. So yeah, very nice. I've come back with a case of the summer sniffles. So apologies, readers. I'm sounding a little bit Barry White esque. Um, I did Google yesterday. Can you take too much vitamin C? And uh, apparently, it's, yeah, it gives you a bit of a dicky tummy. But uh, you know, I've been been sort of on the on the supplements and the uh, the oranges and the orange juice. So, yeah. oh, good fighting fit now, Tom. Oh, um, indeed. And another person we've not seen on the pod for two months um, is uh, Reese Jones, tax specialist Reese Jones. So, Reese, where have you been for two months? We've heard about Tommy's been away for a couple of weeks, but how about you? How have you been for the last two months? I've been good, thanks. Good to be back. Uh, yeah, it's camping season for us, so we've been me and the family have been away camping lots. So, uh, yeah, but good to be back today. Wonderful. And as a uh, stamp duty specialist, has much happened over the last two months? Not at the moment, but of course, if Boris gets in, there's uh, potentially big changes coming up. So it's a wait and see on that matter. Of course, because stamp duty very much... On the agenda, a political topic at the moment. What's been uh, what's been going on there? Yeah, so um, obviously with uh, Boris and Jeremy going around the country, um, publishing their uh, manifestos, as it were. There's obviously a lot of tax changes proposed in there. Boris looking to um, change the uh, basic rate tax from fifty thousand to eighty thousand, which would be a massive jump, which I believe is just just above the uh, normal MP salary. So that's obviously good for those guys. <laughs> uh, and then, that's um, very cynical. Really. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, also, uh, yeah, he talked about raising the stamp duty threshold to 500,000. So potentially big changes coming up. It's fascinating though, because tax is often a subject that's branded as dull until it isn't, until it's being used as a sort of political football, as it were. And then, of course, it's, it's pretty fascinating stuff and politicians sort of use it to... Uh, use it to their advantage in campaigning like that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a good, you know, if it affects people, it affects people every time, you know, the, what tax rate are they going to pay? It's, it's a huge um, bottom line on anyone's, you know, expense. But the, 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 the downside to it is you're making proposals uh, but, and it creates uncertainty. So is it going to go through? When is it going to go through? Does it stop people making decisions? You know, a bit like Brexit. So, uh, sure. yeah, it's a funny old game. Well, talking of tax, we're going to move on to our top headlines of the week. And of course, it is a very tax heavy triple threat. At number three this week of the top stories of the last seven days on the counter web is a story by Neil Warren. No VAT due on dishonest employees' private bank accounts payment. This was a story where, where Neil investigated the curious case of total catering equipment where the company claimed bad debt relief on payments made to a fraudulent employee's personal bank account. So, uh, guys, have we uh, read the story? Any thoughts? 
it was this this catering company, uh, a dishonest employee gave customers his personal bank down, bank account details rather than those of his employer, and and sort of took orders for goods over the phone. Uh, so the money went into his personal bank account. Um, obviously, the cost the company um, originally accounted for output tax because the sales had been made. But when this this dishonesty was discovered they they claimed bad debt relief and uh hmrc uh, their view was that this, this this type of dishonesty was the same as if the employee had stolen the cash from the till i.e output tax is still due as a supply has taken place neil neil goes into the uh the the hmrc notices the the, the relevant ones there but uh yeah it's it's one of those things it was a it was a, an interesting case and certainly one that that got the accounting web readers talking and uh yeah say more more in the show notes yeah and it's uh I- the quirky i love the quirky cases like this and most of them involve vat and biscuits or something like that so <laughs> it's um it's an unusual case um not sure if the right uh, decision was made but um maybe the company will send around some heavies to the employee's house to get the money back i don't know <laughs> <laughs> well heavies are certainly not being used as an excuse in our next top story which is uh about mtd and exemptions i don't think anyone's uh, gone as far as to send the heavies in to make sure they've been exempted but this is a story which generated a lot of conversation, one which you picked up, Tom. So what's, what's happening with exemptions? It seems like age, age is not an excuse. Indeed. Um, so obviously, 7th of August deadline for quarterly VAT filers, uh, making tax digital, it's, it's, it's happening, guys. And uh, yeah, I, I think there's not been a lot of clarity around the exemptions process, at least that's what we're hearing from our readers. So over the last month or two, I've been gathering reader stories on the exemption process, um, you know, and, and, and who's exempt and who isn't. And actually, I went to the Sage London Roadshow last week where um, HMRC's uh, Verna Gelvia, um, who actually is, is extremely straightforward um, in terms of sort of answering your questions uh confirmed a few stats and uh talked quite candidly about who was and wasn't exempt and i think the big the big takeaway for us was that um a common point cited by uh, people asking about making tax digital exemptions was that age is not an exemption by itself so that that was something she was very keen to emphasize i think uh one one accounting web reader i spoke to about this uh, sort of com- sort of confirm this so i i was fully expecting to advise one client in his early 70s that we could get an exemption for him but he turned out to be one of the first software engineers in his time so he was completely up for making tax digital uh, so yeah but i mean things that are potentially uh, the reasons f- to claim an exemption include sort of being located in an area that is inaccessible to the internet um obviously stuff like having an existing bat exemption or, or, or being below the threshold that's fine um it's th- just things like disability religious grounds um if the company is subject to insolvency procedure so yeah we we um the article sort of breaks down things to include i think originally hmrc said you could only apply in writing but they have since changed that to uh uh, you can apply via the telephone, the VAT helpline, but as we'll get on to next, that is easier said than done. I mean, just sorry, just on that point, I mean, 
<clears throat> I know most uh, HMRC do accept most cases. There's always going to be that few, but you would think with something like making tax digital, which is so new to everyone, and even people who are au fait with technology are finding it difficult and accounts find it difficult, you would think that the they would have a lot of leniency to in most cases. Mm. So mm. I hope that would be the case. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the stats that HMRC released as of 28th of June, they'd received 2,300 applications for exemptions, uh, 80% of which had been allowed. Now, I think that's a little bit of a skewy statistic because a lot of those had been from businesses with turnovers under that 85k threshold so they're exempt anyway so i don't know i I tried to i tried to dig a little deeper into those stats but haven't really got anywhere so yeah there we are i think i'd like to uh to know if anyone's emailed through saying that they haven't got a computer and that's why they're exempt but we shall see on to the top story of the week and uh reese you were talking earlier about uncertainty and there's no better story that embodies uncertainty than brexit and that was the top story this week a story gained by uh, you tom two stories in the top three uh this one uk non-residents could face hard brexit personal allowance cliff edge what's happening i'm happy to admit that covering brexit on accounting web has been an absolute nightmare i think because a lot of our readers i think what our readers enjoy is certainty it's legislation it's it's uh you know, guidelines and Brexit's contained none of this stuff. And it's a, just a lot of speculative flim flam. We've put out things about scenario planning and, and potential situations, but it's not, it's not really things you can take back to your client, particularly. You can, you know, I remember back, back in the, back in the Brexit heyday of 2016 interviewing the newly minted KPMG head of Brexit and she came up with, I mean, it's very nice sort of contingency planning measures, but nothing you wouldn't put in place uh, for something like uh, an economic downturn or something like that. It wasn't particularly specific. Now we're getting towards um, the sort of Brexit, uh, you know, the, the, the perhaps the final. Um, it's the final season of Brexit. Brexit deadline, <laughs> indeed, yeah. Um, <clears throat> we could actually be getting to the nub of a few details and we're starting to see an uptick in traffic and this this was an interesting little story that um i think uh was brought to us uh brought to our attention by robert salter over at blick rothenberg who um he 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 dug out the fact that thousands of uk nationals living in eu countries could lose their personal tax allowance uh and have their net incomes reduced obviously in the event of a hard brexit um you know this is obviously you know um the fact that that their status as EU or, or EEA nationals is laid down in, in UK tax legislation from 2007. So uh, they, if, if we were to leave without a deal, they wouldn't have that. So yeah, an interesting, interesting one. 30 comments on the site so far. And I, I think it's one bit of the um, for like expats who come to the country for a bit and then leave. Mm. It is huge because I've got lots of clients who in that position maybe build a portfolio here, buy a house here, then they, they leave, go back home. And they were, they like the personal allowance because it's so big. So this is a huge tax-free amount for them. And if it was the case for it to go, then uh, it, it could cause an impact for a lot of people. But hopefully it's one of those things where when we get to the nuts and bolts of Brexit that um, 
it's it's done fairly basically, and so they wouldn't face this cliff edge. But obviously, that's yeah, and that, uncertainty. That's the thing. And a couple of the comments are saying, "Well, you could just amend the legislation." And it, but I think getting any legislation passed at the moment is is slightly um, uh, tricky. So be interesting to see how this plays out. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll probably see more little uh, quirky things like this come out with different types of legislation. Yeah, and we'll see more and more stories like this. So yeah. Wonderful. And that was the top three stories. But before we can carry on, I have to say, Tom and Reese, you both sound fantastic today. It's like you're firing on all cylinders. It's like you're at your peak productivity and creativity. I wonder what time of day it is. I wonder if the time of day could be the reason why you're both sounding so great. At confession time, we're not recording this podcast live as you're hearing it. In fact, it is 11 a.m. We're we're recording which coincidentally according to a new survey is the peak productivity time for accountants so what do you think then reese are you feeling like you're at your peak productivity time right now is 11 a.m does that sound about right it sounds about right to me so i'm a big coffee fiend so i'm like coffee 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 and then 11 o'clock is peak coffee time for me but the trouble is i i <laughs> I have an early lunch, so my hunger pangs start about half past 11. So I think I've got a half hour window of productivity in me. And then after that, I'm just on lunch at half 11. You just <laughs> use your productivity just to eat your sandwiches. and Best eating I've ever done. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I was so productive, productive during that buffet. Just filled the plate up high. Do you think time of day really makes a difference, though, is... Do you feel that you're more productive than the afternoon? Does afternoon? Do you feel like a big dip when the afternoon comes? I do. Yes, I do. I think in the morning, I'm a morning person, so I like to get up early, uh, start work early, do that. In the afternoon, productivity definitely goes down. But um, I'm much better now at taking breaks. So I used to just stay at my desk all day, just work, work, work. But now I'm very careful to think after you know a half hour an hour I say well let's just get up have a walk around make a cup of tea and it just those little breaks make a big difference um but the the coffee helps in the morning I think 11 a.m sounds about right in terms of it, it's quite interesting reading your practice talk series where you speak to a different accountant every week and it's I don't know it's really enlightening how much email plays a part that this curse of email plays a part in the accountant's day-to-day life and it's everyone says the same thing is sort of come in open up your inbox oh jesus you know then sort of deal with a couple of hours work and then you can actually get on with your proper day-to-day tasks so I'd, i'd imagine that probably is a factor in what people have been telling this survey the other interesting thing that came up this survey was the atmosphere of the office and that makes a difference uh in particular, it sort of leaned towards peace and quiet is much better than, than having music, which is bad news if you're in charge of the office radio and you're, you're tuning into your favourite station. So does that make a difference for you, Reese? Does, does that really make a difference, having peace and quiet versus um, someone blasting out Rammstein in the corner of the <laughs> office? <laughs> for me personally, yeah, it's massive. So... Uh, I, I must have peace and quiet when I'm trying to concentrate, especially if you're doing something technical. Must have peace. I'm the type of guy who will, if there's a little bit of noise, I'll just go into a room by myself. But my wife, for example, she's the exact opposite. So she puts headphones in at work and she'll just listen to music and write a report. So she's the exact opposite. But. I'm, I'm somewhere in between. 
I'm fine with music as long as there are no words or words that I can understand. So it's either sort of, I don't, I don't know, um, classical music or something, someone like sort of um, post-rockers, Sigur Ross, you know, this sort of Icelandic <laughs> lot. I can't understand their, their sort of language anyway. So uh, Is that just because yeah. you want to sing along, is it? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I find if I'm, if I'm typing away, for example, and there are words that I can understand, I, I end up typing what's in there so you know it's sort of uh i don't know oh um brexit cliff edge uh my milkshake brings all that oh hold on a minute. Uh, my, my favorite case of any sort of music in the office is when the person's listening to music with the headphones in um but then they forget to actually plug the headphones in and then the music starts to blare out into the rest of the office without them realising. Um, that actually happened with someone on the accounting web editorial team. Uh, I don't want to name any names, but they're not here on the podcast this week. And their name <laughs> might rhyme with uh, Pantois, <laughs> Cardenhorst. <laughs> um, I don't want to name any of the, the music he was listening to, but um, uh, I'm, I'm sure we were, we'll share that another day. Um, anyway, um, it was shared, by the way. Um, <laughs> And the other thing is about the study, it said about office design and motivational sayings and on the wall. Does that make any difference to you, Reese? Or is that? No, it's just a trend thing. Someone will be doing something different next year. <laughs> you also uh, mentioned earlier about lunch, and that was something which, um, and, and having appropriate breaks it, um, throughout the day. And that's something that also came up in this week's practice talk where uh, Ben Still, who was on last week's podcast, um, he was the start of this week's practice talk and something, another theme emerged about this always on culture that we're hearing quite often uh, on Accounting Web. Um, and he said that he can't remember the last time he had a lunch break and said, sadly, most days I go without lunch. And this seems like um, quite a recurring thing on practice talk where many people would talk about, many of the interviews talk about how they would just not have a lunch and instead they would um, use that time in order to leave early, but more times out of not probably end up leaving at the same times had they had a lunch. Um, so Reese, this is something which you've fallen into the trap of, of not having a lunch. I know that that's so your peak productivity time is lunch. So is that something which you've ensured that you have throughout the day? So I used to be really bad for, I used to eat my sandwiches at my desk, um, quick look on the BBC Sport website and then back to work basically so it was 10-15 minutes and um, that's how I used to do it day in day but I've changed recently and I, I make sure I go out every lunchtime make sure I go out for a walk listen to some music listen to a podcast so because it, it's it's hugely important for the productivity mm. really helps me go out a bit of exercise and come back and then um, much more product uh, product in the, in, the, in the afternoon yeah absolutely and um Speaking of lunch, it's, it's one of those unwritten rules as well, because if you're eating lunch in your desk, you're more than likely to be guilty of other uh, criminal uh, offences against office etiquette, such as um, leaving crumbs in your keyboard or eating your food loudly or having smelly food wafting around the office. Um, but other office etiquettes also come up, uh, up this week, which is around dress code and and Tom, this was something which we, we were mentioning early on in the week about um, as the, the, the summer days get warmer, um, out come the shorts, out come um, even the flip-flops. Do we think that's really appropriate in the office? I know this is a topic which comes up quite often on the counter web. Um, and you get people either side of the, the shorts and flip-flop debate. What do we think, Tom? 
It's a difficult one, isn't it? I'm, I'm still, I, I don't want to sound like a sort of reactionary old codger here, but uh, I see it was with, with the sort of polo shirt and chinos, the sort of uniform of the middle-aged man. But uh, I, I kind of feel that if I were to turn up in, in shorts and flip-flops, that, that I feel that might affect my mindset, might affect my productivity a little bit. I don't know. So, Reese, I noticed you, you've not come dressed in your beachwear today. You're very much in, in your, your shirt and um, just professional-looking outfit. Do you find if, if you go meet meet clients, they would expect that certain kind of professional look uh, from you rather than turning up um, with, you, with your beach towel behind you and your flip-flops on? Yeah, I, I'm, I still think that meeting clients, I, I like to put on a shirt and tie and, shirt and, tie and dress smartly. I think that's still really important. Around the office, if you're not meeting clients and I think it's getting more and more relaxed hmm. um, and there's even talk um, in, the f- in um, our firm of um, dr- is it dress for the day yeah dress for the day which I know a lot of big firms do that now Yeah, where you just turn up and dress how you want basically and if there is client meetings and you dress appropriately and if there's not then you can just wear your jeans and t-shirt um, yeah no I mean certainly I, I used to work at a place in uh, in Bristol where everyone regardless of whether you were meeting clients or not had to be in a a full suit and tie I I was hauled into the CEO's office once for uh, wearing a jumper and tie um, which you know at five past nine and instructed to take my jumper off which uh, you know at at sort of 30 or however old I was was you know I just found just found thoroughly bizarre Um, it was it was a a very odd uh, very odd rule they were keen on enforcing and it's, it's certainly a contentious topic on account of web over the, uh, the last several months. We've uh, had various uh, topics and, um, and and threads on the Any Answers forum about just dress code and also about shorts in the office and uh, particular comments on either side. You've got uh, Sarah Douglas who uh, mentioned that uh, unless we have a client meeting, then shorts is not a problem, but not if we're meeting a client and if they're coming to the office. Um, whilst Slim Freddy um, said that maybe no white socks and sandals, definitely not a good look. So, of course, when it comes to dress code, make sure you are dressing appropriately, and that comes to socks and with sandals as well. Uh, <laughs> but I'm afraid that's all we've got time for today on the No Account for Taste podcast. All that's left for me today is to say is to say thanks very much, uh, for joining us, Tom and Reese. Reese, where can we find out a little bit more about you? People can look on uh, LinkedIn, Reese Jones. You can look on there. I'm sure you'll be able to find me. Um, otherwise, get in touch with the guys here. That's it. And um, for all your accounting news and views, check us out on accountweb.co.uk. Thanks for listening. And I'm off now to uh, put my flip flops and enjoy the weather. So uh, until next time, we'll see you again. Oh, shout.